Kyle. Thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we are welcomed by Chaitali Sinha, who is the Head of Clinical Development and Research for WISA, which is an AI mental health company. So Chaitali, can you tell us a little bit about WISA, what your offerings are, and then how you got here? Because I think that is such a fascinating story. Um, so we're an uh, AI-led mental health app, uh, which uh, provides a, which delivers a conversational agent, and the conversational agent uh, can deliver mental health interventions of multiple kinds. Uh, and uh, we've been around for the last uh, six years or so, started in 2016, and uh, launched as a direct-to-consumer app, which aimed to, and this was our tagline, uh, friend at 4 a.m., that uh, especially when you need support and when you're particularly feeling alone and you have no one to speak to at that time whether it's helplines whether it's doctors there is simply no resource that's available so who do you reach out to then that was one of the key problems that our founders had set out to solve at that point and uh, that's how the chatbot came into existence and uh, we launched the app and at this point, we have about uh, 6 million users across 95 countries and uh, particularly working with the employers, payers, providers uh, across the U.S. healthcare space right now and trying to understand how do you now get access to the next 100 million people. How I joined this mission was that... Uh, uh, for about three to four years, my work had been very intensely focused on trauma more than anything else. I was working with uh, child sexual abuse and juvenile justice and then in conflict zones and uh, experiencing significant burnout and managing that. And at that point, I think trying to figure out in my journey that uh, how does someone still be a service delivery provider still does good work in the mental health space without annihilating themselves completely and what would that even look like some of the initial interactions whether that was with the uh, users who were reaching out for coaches or what folks were writing about WISA on uh, Google Play Apple App Store feedback and we would get like 70 to 100 reviews every day and that's something that still happens so hearing their stories about why they use it or where it helped them or when they felt misunderstood, especially when trust for them in the system was extremely low and they weren't able to trust the system after the system had let them down so many times. Um, those were the kinds of users who were organically finding our app. So I think another interesting thing to know about WISA is that at this point and where we have 6 million users, we still haven't spent a single cent on a marketing dollar so far. Individuals are already looking out for apps like this, like they really need something that can support them. They need something that is free and low cost because most people can't afford to access and especially at the prices that we put it at right now. And they need something that works. And if you tick mark all of those three boxes, then there are a lot of people who really need mental health support and are looking for it right now. So I think understanding that gap and understanding how many people are actively looking out for support right now, that definitely is something that added further fire, I guess, to what we wanted to do and how we set out to do it.
that if we do this well, we can genuinely help a lot of people in this world. It's a very, very interesting story, Chitali. And uh, as the saying goes, you had me at uh, your tagline, friend at 4 a.m. That is uh, really, you know, brings it home. But, you know, the interesting thing is everybody needs that, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's such a growing ep uh, epidemics of loneliness and depression and anxiety, and they're all connected. But how can a chatbot possibly become that friend? So that's something that I think a lot of us are going to grapple with. And if you can maybe slow down and tease that out in terms of how exactly can AI perform mm -hmm. that function, is it really possible for technology to be a friend? Hmm. I, I hear you, Apoor, and I think the skepticism is real and very understandable. I think uh, some of what we have understood from the users who have written back to us, uh, the patients in trials who have spoken about WISA at this point, is that uh, initially that relationship feels strange to them as well. Why am I talking to a chatbot? And why is this something that I'm utilizing? And then there are three or four broad metrics that, again, if it fulfills for somebody, they come back. Um, some of that is helpfulness. So helpfulness defined by, say, how hurt am I feeling or um, what I want to do with my life right now or the intent with which I'm reaching out for mental health support is that being fulfilled and uh, is WISA is being clear in their communication to me about, uh, you know, uh, what, what they want to support me with or how they will support me, right? So what's the roadmap from here? So the metrics are very similar to how you would think through a psychotherapy setting or how you would think through uh, any kind of patient care model that uh, if my needs are being fulfilled and I'm feeling heard uh, about my needs, then that's something that gives me further trust to try it again. And that's very similar to how we've seen people respond to a chatbot as well. So um, NPR actually recently did a story on WISA where uh, they were talking about, and they reached out to a couple of patients who were using WISA. And um, one of the patients was talking about her journey where she was given WISA by her orthopedic surgeon. And uh, she was managing disability, not being able to go to a therapist and not being able to even see her surgeon regularly because uh, she had lost uh, insurance benefits at home, no car, no job. And at that point, when her surgeon recommended WISA, initially, I think her response was exactly the same, right? Like, why am I talking to a chatbot? And I think the next response was, hmm, but this actually helps. And it actually made me feel better. And the third aspect of what she shared was that, uh, especially on the days when either she needed a lot of support or she needed support at odd times, that was particularly where she felt so supported that if she needed to talk to someone seven times in the day, WISA was there. Or uh, if she needed to reach out to someone at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. because the pain was keeping her up, WISA was there. And it's in those moments, particularly if there is anything that is responding to you with empathy and being present for you, um, that can feel as human an interaction as you can have in that moment, right? In that deep moment of need. We did a peer-reviewed publication around therapeutic alliance and uh, knowing that 
trust between a, a provider and a client is something that's one of the most essential factors of effectiveness in mental health, right? That if you can't trust where the intervention is coming from, then there will be no effectiveness. So is that is that alliance something that is developed between VISA and any user? Do they see that? Do they feel that? What do we see there? And that's kind of where we saw very interesting results. One, uh, comparable therapeutic alliance to in-person psychotherapy settings or even better sometimes. Uh, established really early on. So most of the time, psychotherapy settings will take at least two to four weeks before they'll measure alliance. Uh, we did that first measurement in three to five days. And that's where we saw alliance and very strong alliance, right? And uh, the third interesting thing was that uh, we were also seeing where alliance was increasing or decreasing. So one other key reason as to why alliance continues is where there is rupture in a relationship. So if I have not felt understood uh, by the person who I'm speaking to, or if they didn't understand my need, right? how do we proceed from that point? So anybody who's been in a setting where the therapist knows exactly what I'm talking about, that we all have those moments, even with therapists we love, where they didn't get me and I really needed them to get me. How do you proceed from that can potentially change your relationship completely. It can make it much stronger or much weaker. And so those instances where we saw that if Vaisa was responding appropriately, being able to acknowledge the fact that maybe they got it wrong and what would you like to do next? And the kind of responses that we were seeing from users after even instances like that, I think gave us even more confidence into how this alliance works, why it works, and why are users feeling the way they're feeling about this chatbot? So how do you develop that trust? Because the they're chatting with AI, those types of conversations are AI, but your actual roadmap of what to tell them or how to treat them in certain scenarios is developed by a clinician. So there is oversight in that way. Yeah. So how do you build trust with them in those situations and what happens if they get it wrong? You know, does Weiss work with them on a new plan? Do they say, I'm sorry? Or I don't know what you do then refer them to the coach, the in-person coach that they have. What do you do then? How do you rebuild that trust? So usually in such moments, so uh, the instances are much smaller. So for example, if, uh, uh, you know, for example, I said to Waisa that uh, I had a breakup and uh, it was a really bad day and uh, everything just went horribly. And Waisa perhaps didn't understand that. And Waisa said, uh, you know, uh, maybe move past that context or didn't respond to it. And the user says, the second response says, you don't get me or uh, this is not helping me at all. Now, that's where Waisa has an opportunity to recover the conversation, where it can say that, uh, you know, it sounds like I'm not helping in this moment. Um, what can I do next? And gives them a couple of options. Uh, so allows them to then choose where they should be going next in the conversation. And that becomes one of the ways to kind of heal past that rupture. To say that I didn't get you the first time. I acknowledge that. And where would you like to go next? Let's proceed in that direction. And that again being a very gentle way, uh, very similar to what we would do in any kind of in-person setting as well. To say that... The patient is being heard and you're making a second attempt to make sure they're truly feeling heard. Uh, 
and those are also good i think examples to explain that building of trust despite clinician scripts that where and when empathy is used or where uh, uh, a person is uh, their thought is reframed or replayed that okay this is what you said this is the context you're struggling with this seems to be the emotion that you're managing how would you like to work through that or what is the intervention we should try next putting all of that context together making the conversation truly feel conversational that it's not just you know um, psychological lingo or uh, just a lot of jargon that I'm throwing at you that, okay, cognitive restructuring is this. These are the three elements of it. That's not the point of conversation like this. But the point is that how do you make sure that you ask the right questions so that a person can reflect on themselves and you being there as enough of a holding space that whatever response they come back with, you can still hear it. When you do that, you're a great therapist. And when Vaisa does that, it's a great conversational agent. Wow, it opens up so many different questions because again, I'm thinking, I haven't used it and I'm just thinking, wow, how can I get my hands on it to try it out? But how do you create that empathy? Uh, how do you create that sense of listening? And it's it's uh, simply uh, still a technology. And, yeah. and, and maybe even before you answer that question, you might have to explain the technology a little bit as to what is the technology itself? I mean, we're hearing these days about, you know, the large language models and generative AI, and that's not what this is. Um, you know, and you used a different terminology to describe it. So maybe we start there to say, what is it exactly? And how does that allow for WISA to therefore be able to listen and to be able to have empathy? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. Um, so uh, WISA was built about um, six, six, seven years ago and uh, much before the current uh, hype of chat GPT. And uh, yeah, and what it was built on was uh, two key foundational elements. One that the aim was to create a manner through which users can feel heard and what could be AI enhancements that could enable that. That was question number one. And question number two was that in any kind of sensitive healthcare setting, one thing that any provider, any payer, anybody who works with technology like this will need to ensure that what goes as a response to a client, a patient, a user can be audited, can be validated to make sure that it's consistent and in line with evidence-based theories. If that's not something they can be convinced of, then it will be very hard for uh, them to know that appropriate guardrails are in place. So those guardrails are something that we could create by splitting the technology into two parts. So one was that any kind of response that comes out of WISA, that's something that is written by a clinician and nothing else goes out. So there is no mind of its own that WISA has. Uh, and the second element being that we use natural language understanding then uh, to make sure that any kind of free text, so WISA is the only chatbot in mental health which has free text where a user can write anything at all and WISA will use its 150 plus AI models to understand what is being said and then respond appropriately to that. But it's bringing in responses from clinician vetted scripts and only using that but it's listening using all of its AI abilities and then recommending appropriately. 
And all of this, you said that this started six years ago, pre-pandemic, before ChatGPT and all of those things. And it was originally something that was open to direct to consumer on a free basis. So you have 6 million users across 95 countries, which leads to a lot of data, a lot of conversations. And so I think you said it was that you were presenting at the World Economic Forum and they actually asked for your data because you have some really significant things to share from this. So what are some of the things that are standouts from what you've seen over the last six years? Hmm. That's, yeah, I can spend a couple of hours on that question. But uh, I think uh, some key highlights that really pop into my mind right now. So uh, at the World Economic Forum, we released a report, which was called the Global Employee Mental Health Report. And we were looking at employees that we are currently serving and what are the key insights that we've understood about wellness, especially when people are in the workforce. And uh, yeah, I think any key insights that we could share around that. So some of the key points that we understood that I think were really fascinating, apart from, I think, you know, some aspects that you're always looking at for analysis that how many, what's the prevalence like, or uh, uh, what is the efficacy like of using something like this. But we also saw that um, different points in time during the day where distress is experienced the most. So, uh, for example, uh, Mondays in the mornings are really hard. We know that with data now. Or we know that uh, there are employees who would wake up in the night and be really worried about work. So, um, and those are the kinds of insights that can, for someone who is proactively wanting to create a better workforce, that's very interesting insights to understand what is the kind of work that is leading to that. Or when is that happening in the year across my organization? And uh, is that something that could actually be changed? Could we reduce people's anxiety and stress levels because of which attrition is also happening at the same time? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, folks can't manage anxiety like that year after year. So I think those were definitely some really interesting insights or the kinds of words that were popping up across different offices. So um, at this point, we work with some very large uh, employers who uh, have offices across 50 countries or 40 countries. So uh, in such scenarios, we're also able to share insights around uh, what are the kinds of continents or what are the kinds of countries where people are facing more stress than other countries. Why is that? And uh, again, time of the year, different kinds of emotions that they're talking about at that point. So that's really helped, I think, think through uh, large strategies and what could be implemented for wellness across an organization where the challenge is also massive with organizations that are that large. Are you starting to see, Chitali, then as a result of all of this, are you seeing an impact at an organizational level, perhaps, you know, or um, you're you're also dealing with insurers, but, you know, in, a, in any group setting, are you starting to see loneliness going down? depression going down, things like that, the kind of end outcomes you're looking for. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, So uh, depression and anxiety with the PHQ-9 and GAD-7, that's something that we've been measuring consistently across most of the groups that we work with. And uh, I think across all our groups and all our different offerings, whether that's population and public health or whether that's our work with employers, with payers, uh, we've seen statistically significant outcomes across with the usage of this on anxiety and depression outcomes. And that's something that we've seen here as well, that employer groups 
definitely seem to be reporting very uh, strong uh, effectiveness. And that, of course, then converts for them into ROI cases as well. That absenteeism, presenteeism starts going down, productivity starts increasing, uh, they're seeing less or sick leaves being taken. And uh, all of that is in just an impact that comes out of something that is making them feel a little more ready, a little more mentally healthy. So, um, yeah, we've definitely been able to build those connections in organizations specifically and have done a lot of peer-reviewed work at this point to just capture the kind of effectiveness that WISA is creating right now. I'm not still sure I understand. I, I think I get the the listening piece yet, but I still don't mm -hmm. get the empathy piece. And so okay. it's simply kind of inserting text like, hey, I, I hear you, or that must be hard. Is that what it's doing? Is it just kind of inserting some humanistic sort of language? Um, that, that I think would be very helpful to know. With empathy, yeah, I think I would break that down into two or three portions. One is uh, empathetic responses, and empathetic responses phrased at two levels, right? But any kind of conversation, any kind of question that you can ask, which is therapeutic in nature, is still something that can be phrased in multiple ways. So is empathy something that we're checking for, that we're making sure happens in every conversation? And some of it, yes, is direct empathetic text as well. So uh, again, ways in which you're ensuring that if there are certain events, certain situations that are being spoken about, what is Vaisa's first response? Is it going to respond to the event? Is it going to respond to emotion? Uh, is it going to respond to the uh, term that you mentioned uh, later? So what does it prioritize? And what does it make sure it holds at the core of the conversation? Because it knows that you are holding it at the core of the conversation. So that's something that we spend a lot of time thinking through. And perhaps one process to mention here is that uh, any intervention that is released on WISA, uh, one very uh, elongated and complex internal process that it goes through is called conversational testing, where uh, something that is written by a clinician and a conversational designer will then be tested by at least five people in the company, where they will give feedback on if they felt heard and if they felt like uh, it accounts for all the possibilities of how a user may potentially feel frustrated or not feel good in this conversation. Does it actually account for that in every single place? And if it doesn't, then it fails that conversational test. Is WISA also intended to be a coach and a therapist in addition to a listener and a friend? WISA is positioned as an adjunct in a lot of scenarios to uh, therapists. Um, in certain scenarios, we've seen that where we're working in the well-being or preventative space, or we're working in the space where we're provisioning uh, psychosocial skills, so in those scenarios, it is uh, seen as an AI coach. And uh, that's what our positioning is in that place. But in those scenarios, the need anyway is not that of a therapist per se, but uh, the need is to make sure that there is a first layer to the stepped care model, which takes care of the needs that exist for most people in regards to mental health and that nobody is providing for. My final question is related to the personal satisfaction of the people working behind the scenes at WISA, because I'd assume there's a fair amount of people who are like you, who may have been in the field before in the trenches, yeah. and now you're helping do this. And I think it was so thoughtful how you explained that 
these conversations go through five different tests to see how that could be read differently because that is so important even when you think of how you might read a friend's texts yeah yeah, i have some friends that if they don't use an emoji i'll sit there and be like (laughs) oh my god i I, did they mean it this or this you know you feel like you're (laughs) acting and testing a scene i'm like please use the emoji so i understand and we all save the time so i i just i appreciate the thoughtfulness behind that so how does that merge with the personal satisfaction to help these people you know, we always say at work right now that, uh, right now and always, that uh, uh, whenever any of us is having a bad day uh, at work, uh, the first thing that we do is that we go to uh, uh, an internal channel where we keep receiving our live Google Play and Apple App Store reviews. And because we get so many of them right now, so just uh, about 70 to 100 reviews a day that reading some of those stories where users are talking to us directly about why they used it, how they found it, where did it help them? Because uh, it takes a lot of effort. Like I don't do it for most tabs where I have to like put a star rating and write something, right? So someone taking the energy to do that and just share the story with us because they really, really want to let us know that. That I think more than anything just reminds us of why we do what we do. And why is this something that's really needed? Because, um, yeah, I, I think everything else could potentially be us drinking our own Kool-Aid or uh, or not realizing what is needed and what's not needed. But a user, a patient directly telling us that this is something that helped and it worked for me. Uh, that more than anything, I think, yeah, just gives a lot of reason to keep doing this, keep working through the hard struggle of, um, I think, also making something like this sustainable, that it lasts for years to come uh, as a company, as a business, as a product. Uh, It gives us that energy to keep going. Thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with us. Thank you so much. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.